So this semester we have been talking about spiritual maturity. Um, just kind of recap a little bit, not too much, but uh, just going back to the beginning of the semester, I kind of mentioned a study that I read saying that most Christians talk about spiritual maturity. They want to be spiritually mature. They put a high emphasis on spiritual maturity, but they don't really know how to define it. And to make matters worse, their pastors don't know how to define it either. And upon reading that, I realized that I didn't have an answer for what that question was. And so I've been using this semester just to kind of explore it a little bit. And we've been looking at um, been looking at the book of James and been looking at the fruit of the Spirit and just kind of running through that. And, and something I've been saying all semester, kind of coming back to it, is you really look at what maturity means, uh, just in general. It's a growth in functionality. As we start off, we're babies. We can't, we can't do anything but eat and be cute and sleep. I mean, that's all, that's all babies can do. And as they get older, as they mature, they're able to, uh, other functions kind of come to them. They're able to start using their hands. They're able to walk. They're able to talk. Their eyes develop and they can see and they develop a personality. And it's just kind of, maturity is just kind of a growth and different functionality. And, you know, spiritual maturity is kind of the same thing as we kind of, as we mature spiritually, we start off as Christians, we don't know really exactly what it's about. We kind of have a vague idea, that's why we sign up, and then we just kind of, we kind of grow up and we learn what it means to live a Christian lifestyle. We learn what it means to be a follower of Christ. And throughout the New Testament, it talks, it uses the metaphor of bearing fruit. And it just kind of comes from a tree. Like, you know a tree's healthy when it bears fruit. And it's kind of the same thing with well, spiritual maturity, as you grow, your life should produce certain things. Your life should produce certain fruit. And James is kind of saying throughout, he's saying if one of these fruits is missing, if one of these fruits isn't being produced in your life, then that's a sign that something that something's not right. Now, of course, we can't, obviously we can't produce all of these all the time. I mean, it's not, it's not to say there's not a margin of error in there, and then if you mess up and there's something probably wrong with you, but... If consistently in your life you're not producing joy, you're not producing love, you're not producing patience, and James says that's that's a problem that needs to be addressed. That's something that you need to look at. And um, it's just kind of like kind of like when you're growing up as a child. A metaphor I've used several times is, you know, if a child doesn't start making eye contact at a certain point, that's a sign that the child might be autistic. And it's just other developmental things like that. If we we kind of chart out our development, and if we don't hit certain things at certain times, that's a sign that something's possibly wrong, and it's something that we need to, something needs to be examined, it's something that needs to be addressed. And one of the things about being a, being a young child, is if you're, if you're around young children, you know that they are very egocentric when they first start off. The whole world is ultimately about them. And if you hang around a two-year-old, or if you have a two-year-old living in your house, you learn, you learn really quickly that everything in the house belongs to that two-year-old, belongs to that child. Everything, if they see it, they claim it, it's theirs. Everything belongs to them. And another thing, too, is if you're playing with a small child, you learn really quickly that they're not really interested in what you want to do. They're not really interested in what you want to play. It's all about what they want to do. It's all about what they want to play. And presumably we grow out of that at a certain stage. Obviously you know some people 
that don't seem to that seem to be stuck in that stage throughout their whole lives and it's always about them it's always about what they want everything should be about them and we all struggle with that a little bit but really that's that's one of the biggest signs of maturity as far as emotionally and mentally and cognitively is that we grow out of this egocentricity and we start to see the world not simply as how it relates to me but we we can we broaden it and we understand that there are other people in the world and other things they're affected by things that's one of the biggest stages of maturity and see spiritual maturity works the same way see we start off when we first right before we become Christians or right when we first start off it's about it's about our own will being done it's about what we want being done but as we mature spiritually we go from my will being done to thy will being done. And sorry about the rhyming, but it just came to me. I had to roll with it. But, <laughs> yeah, it's about surrendering our own will to what God's will is. And so we're getting into James chapter 4 tonight, which is really on this topic. And I don't know if you're familiar with James chapter 4, but it's not, it's not the happiest chapter in the Bible. It's not one that you got a friend who's struggling with something and you're going to go to him with a word of encouragement from scripture you're probably not going to James chapter 4 because James kind of lays it on the line here and so I'm going to read from James chapter 4 read the whole chapter and then we'll kind of dig into it and it says what causes fights and quarrels among you don't they come from your desires the battle within you you want something but don't get it you kill and covet but you cannot have what you want you quarrel and fight you do not have because you do not ask God when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says, without reason, that the spirit he caused to live within us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That is what Scripture says. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother judges him speaks against the law and judges it when you judge the law you are not keeping it but sitting in judgment on it there is only one lawgiver and judge the one who is able to save and destroy but you who are you to judge your neighbor now listen you who say tomorrow we will go into this city or that city spend a year there carry on business and make money why do you not you do not even know what will happen tomorrow what is your life you are a mist that just appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. And so I say, it's not, not the most pleasant, not the most happy passage of scripture there. Just some of the imagery he uses and some of the things that he says. I mean, he Starts talking about fights and quarrels and killing and coveting. Calls us adulterous people. Uh, talks about God opposing the proud. 
And then I don't know, he talks about <laughs> grieve and mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. I mean, just earlier this semester we were talking about how we were supposed to live lives of joy. And then he's talking about joy to gloom. And it's just not happy. But the one image there that's just really kind of very humbling is he says that our life is like a mist. It's just there for a second, and then it's gone. And he talks about this and talking about the plans that we make. And it's just kind of an interesting section of the scripture there where he says, Now listen to you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. And he says, Instead you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this and that. All but such boasting is wrong. And so a lot of people read this and they kind of they misapply this section here in two ways. And one thing is they, they say that all advanced planning is wrong. And so they're like, if you make plans, then you're going against the will of God. And that's not exactly what James is saying here. He's um, it's not that planning is wrong, but but we'll kind of get into it a little bit just in a moment. But it's more kind of the motives behind our plans and our heart behind our plans. And also, kind of the other thing is kind of because this the stuff that we have control over what's going on around us. And he's just James kind of saying you don't have control over anything. And kind of the second thing that I think a lot of people kind of miss with this is they I don't know, you, you probably heard people do this like they, anytime they talk about their plans they always have to throw the words Lord willing in there. Like for example the rest of my week. Tomorrow me and Jamie are going to have our weekly staff meeting Lord willing. And then the Lord willing the worship design team is going to meet. And then Lord willing Freedom Ridge Band is going to practice. Then Lord willing I'm going to go to my small group of church. Then Lord willing me and we're going to go to Old Chicago and watch Kentucky win in the NCAA tournament tomorrow. And Lord willing, I'll go to bed after that. And then Lord willing, Friday I'll wake up and it's my day off and I'll just goof off all day. All that Lord willing. And that's not really what James is getting at here either. And I, you hear people do that all the time. First of all, I think just adding the words Lord willing and not really seeing what the Lord's willing is kind of what a lot of people end up doing with that. And it's just not, that's not what James is going at here. It's not the plans that James has a problem with. It's our attitude behind the plans. Are we seeking out God's will in the plans that we make? And do we think that we have control over everything around us? And see, one thing I was going to kind of, one image I was going to kind of use, um, and I brought it up to the design team, and I found out that nobody under 30 knew what I was talking about, so I kind of scaled it back a little But have y'all ever seen the bu bumper sticker? And it's, it's one of the most theologically incorrect but probably the most theologically honest bumper stickers I've ever seen. It says, God is my co-pilot. Has anybody ever seen that? Sounds me. Okay. Not great. So a few of you. Yeah. God is my co-pilot. It's just, it's just I, I think it's so honest, but it's so like not how it's supposed to be. God's not our co-pilot. God's the pilot. We're just, we're actually just a passenger in the back seat. We're not even in the cockpit necessarily. At least it's kind of because we don't have control over anything around us. But see, so we're talking about kind of what God's, discerning what God's will is, submitting to God's will. What does it mean to surrender to God's will, to submit to God's will? And we kind of go back to the beginning of the chapter and verses 1 through 3. And James says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet but you can't have what you want. 
You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on pleasures, on, on your pleasures. And so here James presents two problems. Problem one is that we don't ask. And how many times do you just go about whatever you want to do and not, not seek the will, not even ask God at all? Just kind of just go off on your own, power right into it. And the second thing he says is when we ask, when we do ask, we ask with the wrong motives. See, and if you think about it, so often when we seek God's will, we're not really trying to seek God's will, but we just kind of approach it. I think we have like four like kind of wrong approaches that we take when we ask God for things. And the first one is the vending machine approach. Where I, I just I, you go up to a vending machine and it, it gives you what you want and you go away and then you come back when you want something else and it gives it to you and, and you just go back and forth and it's just you expect the whatever you want you just hit the buttons and there it is and it's so often when we pray about stuff it's we don't even ask what God's will is we just say God I want this give it to me okay God I want this now give it to me give me this yeah give me give me give me. And our motives have nothing to do with God's plan in our life. And the second approach where we go wrong is I think we take the Burger King approach. Burger King, they had the slogan, have it your way. And so, you know, you go to Burger King and you see a Whopper and it looks good. You see a Whopper and it looks good. And so you're going you're gonna to take the Whopper. But maybe you don't want mayo on it. Or maybe you don't want, or you don't want something on it. And so you get that part left off. You have it designed especially for you. And when we talk to God and when we seek out His will, I think sometimes that we, we want to have it our way. Say, yeah, God, this part sounds good, but do you really have to do with this part? It's like, God, I really, it's really awesome. I want to be a part of what you're doing in the world. I want to, be, I want to make a difference. But do I really have to give 10% of my income to you? We take some, we leave some out. We approach God like Burger King. Or here's a big one, I think. I know this is one I really struggle with. Is I approach God like a bureaucrat. As I go, I make my plans, get it all planned out, and then I go to God and I ask for His approval over it, ask for His stamp of approval on it. And so I go to God. It just—it's just one of the struggles in ministry. Is you just—you come up with all these brilliant plans and you get it all, every detail worked out, and then, okay, now it's time to pray about it. Now, God, I have this brilliant idea. And I know I didn't need you to help me plan it at all, but just put your blessing over it, God. Bless my plans. Amen. And we just seek it like a bureaucrat is just going to put the stamp on it and send us on our way. And the fourth one is the wheeler and dealer. It's like, God, if you give me this, then I'll do this in return. God, if you give me this jet ski that I want, I promise I'll do my quiet time every day from here on out. And of course, I, I've, I've done that so many times, and of course, I always... You know, I get my jet ski sometimes. Sometimes I don't. And then, actually, I haven't got my jet ski. But one day, God is going to bless me with a jet ski. It's in the Bible. Hopefully. We'll see. But yeah, we, we don't really even have any intention of holding up our end of the bargain. I mean, we think we're going to. But really, we don't put much effort into it. But none of these are the right approach to seeking God's will. And see, and going on in the chapter, he kind of goes a little deeper Picking up in verse 4, he says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. 
Or do you think that Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He caused to live in us envies intensely, but He gives us more grace? That's why Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And so He says that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. And it takes a little defining there, because first of all, what does He mean by friendship with the world? What is the world? And generally, when you see the world mentioned in New Testament, it's got a text. Sweet. <laughs> when you see the world in script in the New Testament, it's generally talking about people who aren't followers of Christ. And so, is James here saying that we shouldn't make friends with people who aren't Christians? Not quite. But but it, it kind of goes more to kind of what. What, the wor- what those people value, what the world values versus what God values. And so, by making friendship with the world, it's chasing the things that they're chasing after rather than chasing the things that God wants us to chase after. So what are some of the things that the world values? Money. Yes, money's always the big one. Yeah, make as much money as you possibly can and just Whatever you do, it's about making more money, more money, more money. What else? Possessions. Fame. What? Possessions. Possessions. Yes, money so you can buy possessions. No, that will make you happy. happy. Yeah, happiness is another big one. Yeah, if you're not happy, then something's clearly wrong, and you need to keep chasing happiness till you finally get it. And if you just get a little bit more, you'll finally be happy. I was actually reading a quote from somebody. Um, they ask a billionaire, you know, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. It's always, the answer is just always just a little bit more. Yeah, we want to be liked. It's another big one. Everyone needs to like us. Somebody likes me. <laughs> Thanks, Taylor. <laughs> Why me? I was the only one, wasn't I? That's the other one is up there right now. <laughs> Jordan. All right. <laughs> and then, then my other one's from Connecticut, if anybody's wondering. So. <laughs> Actually, while I'm thinking about it. Are you reading it or putting on a Putting on a vibrate. Oh, okay. I know. I'm so unprofessional. I apologize. And so, so yeah, we chase after all of these things. And what, what are the things that God wants us to chase after? What are the godly things? What's that? Him. Huh? He wants us to chase him. Chase him, yeah. And what are some other, what are some aspects of that? What are, what are the attributes? Like, I mean, I think it's the things that we've been talking about this semester, you know, stuff like loving others, justice, peace, mercy, those kind of things, those kind of values. And so in this passage, I think friendship with the world becoming enemy of God, if you're chasing the things like money over chasing the things that God wants you to chase, God doesn't like that. And he uses a really powerful image here. He calls us adulterous. And he says that God, the Spirit, envies. Which, that's the NIV translation. Um, others translate it a lot better. It's just that God is jealous over us. And so he has this image out of marriage. You know, and if you're married to somebody and they're off chasing other people, you get upset over that. And God gets upset when we chase the things that aren't of Him, chase the things of the world. I see, but here's a few things about God's will that I think I think we have some misconceptions. 
when we look at God's will. See, we, we think of God's will as this puzzle that we can solve, or this path that we discover. I mean, you hear so many people, they talk about God's will, and they just, they think, I don't know, we almost look at it too linearly, like, God's will for my life is I'm going to go to this college, I'm going to get this major, I'm going to get this job, I'm going to marry this person, then I'm going to get this other job, and it's just all, God's will is just kind of all laid out before us. And as we go across it, we have to figure out which of these two jobs is God's will. And if we get the one that's God's will, then we're good on this path. But if we take the wrong job, then we get out of God's will, and then the whole world just gets all out of whack. And that's not, that's not how God's will works. It's not this defined path that we walk down. It's not this puzzle that we figure out. If we get all the pieces in the right spot, then we're good to go. See, God's will is something to be submitted to. It's the issue, kind of where we're going back here. It's what are we truly chasing after? It's not so much the decisions that we make as it is how we how we come to those decisions, what we base these decisions on. And see, I've got a list of questions here that kind of go to discerning what God's will is. And this isn't a checklist. Um, it's not perfect. Um, but just some questions you ask when you're trying to figure out what God's will in your life is. And one is, what are my motives in seeking this path? Am I going to go this way because this is going to make the most money? Or is it because this is a path that I can take to make a difference? Another question to ask, what are my opportunities to serve and glorify Him on this path that I'm looking at? What are some barriers to surrendering my will that show up on this path? In what ways is my pride an issue in making this decision? What would this path look like through God's eyes? And what is it about this other path that's less desirable? You see, it's not, it's not so much God wants me to take this position, or God wants to take this position, or God wants me to marry this person, or God wants me to move here, or God but, but as we look at these decisions, as they're laid out before us, when we seek God's will, too often we either have this plan already made out, and we're saying, God, either stamp your approval on this, or, I don't know, have you ever prayed this? Or, God, if this is not your will, take this desire away from me. That's, that's not how it works. Questions we should be asking are, God, how can I serve you here? Or what are my motives And in looking into this? See, Tony Campolo is a preacher and a sociology professor. I, I heard him at a conference one time, and he was kind of telling a story that kind of illustrates this point. And you know, he was talking about this um, student that he had who was going to medical school and was going to become a plastic surgeon. And as he was pursuing plastic surgery, you know, he was going to do it. His motives was he was going to go to third world countries and help children who, I guess, maybe had cleft palates or um, other deformities like that. Um, that you know, some things that were really serious, um, or maybe like, you know, at, at place like Africa where there's like a genocide or that kind of brutality going on, and you know, a child gets burned or really messed up in that. You know, he had this, he had this desire that he was going to use this, um, use this skill to save the world. But then Tony said that. He got to a point when it was time to finally go out, you know, graduate med school, go out and get that first job. Instead of doing what he'd originally planned, 
he sold out, he went for the money, and went to Beverly Hills, kind of one of those kind of clinics where, you know, they prey on people's insecurities and just um, do the things and just make a lot of money. And so ultimately his decision was based on money rather than making a difference, rather than seeking what God will in this world is. See, the issue wasn't should he be a plastic surgeon or not. The issue, that's, that's not the issue. The issue is, with whatever you do, are you going to submit it to God? Are you going to use that to His glory, to His will, on His word? And see, there's a few other things to kind of, you need to kind of know about discerning God's will. And the first thing is, we know what God's will is through the Bible. We know who God is through the Bible. We know what He values. We know what He wants us to do through here. True, there's not a map in here that tells you that I need to be an engineer and I need to go to Africa and purify water or whatever. That, that's not written in here. But what is, what is written in here is what God values. And so when decisions come up, if you know what God wants out of your life, that he wants you to, as Micah 6.8 says, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. If you know those things, these decisions make sense. And sometimes you'll find out that either decision is right. Because really, you can serve God anywhere that you go. But the question is, are you seeking to serve God when you're making that decision? Or are you seeking out other things? The second thing to remember is that prayer is vital in determining God's will. But, but that prayer must involve seeking His will. And see, so just kind of talked about earlier, like, too, too often our prayers are, God, give me this, or God, this is my plan, put your stamp on it. But really, when we pray about it, we should earnestly say, God, what is your will in this? And kind of along the tops of that is after you pray for it, just because you still feel good about it, doesn't necessarily mean that it's God's will. I mean, have you ever had that prayer before? You just kind of go to God and say, God, should I do this? Wait a few minutes. You know, I feel it's like I should do this. And you just kind of jump right in and you haven't, you haven't really sought him out. You know, it happens all the time. I mean, it's one of the, I, I think that's one way that we justify so many things through that. I mean, we just say, well, I prayed about it. and So yeah, it's good, right? Not necessarily. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. If you're, just, if you're being honest with yourself, are you really seeking Him out when you pray? And another thing that I think is, does it contradict what you know to be right in God's Word? One example you hear all the time is the guy that goes to his pastor, says, Pastor, I've been praying about it, and I know God wants me to divorce my wife. Scripture says God doesn't want you to get divorced. And, out, and if you think that God's telling you that, for example, if you're getting abused, yeah, probably few other situations I won't say never ever 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 but generally speaking God's not going to tell you something that contradicts his word God's not going to tell you something that he's clearly stated to be out of his will and so that's that's the reason that <clears throat> I know this has come up a lot this semester that so much about spiritual maturity comes out of being in this book right here I know Jamie had a passionate plea last time we met about being the word and it's come up probably just about every week that 
understand who God is, to understand what He wants you to do, you need to be in the Word. Because ultimately we're called to imitate Christ. I mean, that's, that's one of the ways that we mature as children, is we imitate people who are older than us. And one of the ways that we mature spiritually is we imitate Christ. We imitate God's will. And understand that you got to know what's in here. <clears throat> and the final thing to remember is that God's will is not always the path, of, the path of least resistance. And I think it's one of the things where we really get tripped up. Is we get into something and it doesn't go perfectly smoothly right away. Well, if it's not going perfectly, then it must not be God's will. That's not always the case. That's often not the case, actually. Um, you read through the Gospels, and Jesus is constantly saying that people aren't always going to like you. Things are going to get rough sometimes. I mean, he even told his disciples that most of you guys are going to die because you're my followers. And out of the 12, tradition holds that 11 of them were martyred. Only John wasn't. The path of least resistance isn't always the sign that you're in God's will. And so tonight, to 